0: Welcome to the Valley Burke Community Church Podcast and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Songs of Christmas. For a few short weeks, the Songs of Christmas seem to unify the world. Whether they are pop songs, traditional carols, or sacred hymns, ultimately the inspiration for Christmas songs is tied to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Join us as we look at some of the most loved, theologically rich, and sacred songs of Christmas as a starting point for seeing what God wants to teach us through Scripture this Christmas season. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! Well, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas again. Those of you here in the room with us and and those of us, those who are joining us online, we're, we're glad that you're here. All during this month, we've been actually looking at some of the favorite hymns of Christmas that we sing every year, and that we never stop to take a look at what scriptures inspire them. And as as we've done that, uh, I think that we've we've learned a lot, and we've actually learned a lot about scripture because there's a lot of scripture in those hymns. Today, we're going to look at uh, the first Noel, and uh, among. Music scholars, the first Noel would actually not be classified as a Christmas hymn. It would be called a Christmas carol, and that's because they define Christmas carols as ballads that were created to pass on the biblical stories uh, to a, a part of the culture at that time and that age that was predominantly illiterate. Uh, they, they couldn't read scripture, even if they owned a Bible, uh, they, they couldn't read it. Now, they would define Christmas hymns, though, as part of the, the literate song tradition. And when you begin to examine some of the Christmas hymns, you'll notice that they contain a much more formal language which, which, with a lot more uh, theological terms involved in them. So the first Noel is, is actually one of, uh, of the few surviving early Christmas standards that can genuinely be earmarked as a folk song. Whoever was responsible for writing that carol was obviously incredibly enthusiastic about the birth of Jesus and about Christmas and fully understood a wonder that God sent his son to earth So it's powerful to understand, and this was probably dates back to the the Middle Ages, and it was passed on by oral tradition. It was never written down until much later in in the history of the world. So again, you know, the first Noel was written at a time when there were very few Bibles in circulation. Most Bibles at that time were either in churches or in monasteries and They weren't written in the common language. They were written in in Latin. And so uh, a normal person rarely ever saw an actual Bible. And even if they did, more than likely, they wouldn't be able to read it. So for the case of the first Noel, uh, that composer, that writer, uh, with no Bible as his or her guide, drew from the stories that they had heard Told or read about the birth of Jesus. Now, people will indicate that uh, also that the sentences are structured in a way that indicates that person probably had no formal language training. And knowing that uh, may help us wrestle with the the meaning of some of the phrases in there, and particularly with one word. Uh, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it because we sing this Christmas carol every year. But what does the word Noel mean? Uh, now, they they trace the song, uh, the origins of the word, back to uh, Old French. And it's a derivation of a word that probably relates to an earlier Latin term, which was uh, nautilus, um, and which means birth. Um, and uh, And they also suggest that Noel was... Uh, Related to another Latin word, uh, nouvelle, which means new or something to tell about. And then you all know possibly that the French greeting, the modern French greeting for Merry Christmas is Joyeux Noël, meaning Merry Christmas. So today, Noël means Christmas. But back then, uh, people weren't exactly sure what... uh, what the history of it was as we look at it. Uh, The Christmas carol that's sung today, as I said, is one of the oldest Christmas carols being sung for centuries, and it wasn't published until 1833 when it was finally uh, put down in writing and someone published it. Um, Since then, the carol has been shared over the centuries, and the lyrics have changed a little bit as people wrestled with the meaning of things. Uh, For instance, uh, one verse uh, version that was printed in 1929. Uh, the person who put it into put it to paper struggled with what they were hearing when they heard the word "Noel" sung, and so they published it not with "Noel" but with "Ohel." Think that through oh well, oh well. That, that's what they published. So people struggled with that word, what it meant, as well as maybe what they were trying to hear. Now when we turn to the, what scriptures inspired the lyrics of this song, it's obvious that it's the story of the three magi. From the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. So that means that you could actually think about it this way. In, in the church calendar, some of you may know the church calendar. Uh, it changes from a season to season. And so uh, we're in the season of Christmas. And as uh, some of you probably know, there are 12 days of Christmas. And uh, Christmas officially ends on January 7th when that begins the season of Epiphany. And the season of Epiphany is tied to Matthew chapter 2 with the coming of the wise men because this was a revelation or an epiphany to them about the Savior of the world that since the Magi were not Jewish, they were Gentile, this was seen as the gospel being brought to the rest of the world. So let me go back and read this passage to you from the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, Where was the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them on to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, what makes this passage so amazing is that the very people that were longing for the Messiah to come and to save them turned their backs on him. From his birth all the way through his life and up to his death, they, they turned his, their backs on him. And then it was the people who didn't have all of the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament who didn't have a history of longing for and waiting for the Messiah to come, and these are the people who actually sought them out. The, the designation that they were from the East, the Magi were from the East, indicates to us that they were not Jewish, um, that they were Gentiles, that they had come to see the Messiah. But but in the Old Testament prophecies, we actually see that this was prophesied, that that. God would send a a Messiah, a Savior who was not just for his people, Israel, that this Messiah was for all people. So look at this prophecy that God gave Isaiah about the coming Messiah. This is what he told Isaiah I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, This is a Messianic theme that's carried out throughout the book of Isaiah. And it's also a verse that we actually see shows up in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul quotes it as he begins to understand that his calling as an Apostle is to take the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, to the whole world. In other words, beyond the nation of Israel, to take it to the non-Jewish world. And so he did. In fact, Some scholars say that this passage from Isaiah is actually what they would consider to be the great commission verse of the Old Testament. And so it's here in the Gospel of Matthew where we see people who weren't considered to be the chosen people of God actually coming to see the Messiah. And in them, we have a model for how we should respond to Jesus because we see their response and it's a consistent response in this story over and over and over again. Now, uh, these scriptures about the Gentiles who came to see Jesus inspired the song that we, we're going to sing at the end of this message, the first Noel. And just to point out, when we sing that, you're going to notice something that looks a little inconsistent with scripture. It's, it's actually an inaccuracy. Verse 1 starts with the shepherds that you actually read about in the Gospel of Luke they are looking at the star. Now, more than likely, again, remember that this was a, a, a carol that was put to get, together by oral tradition. Somebody had heard these stories, the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke and from the Gospel of Matthew, and they sort of merged them together, and it wasn't exactly accurate in that first verse. But we're going to start off and, and uh, look at verses 3 through 6 because we're going to look at how they were inspired by this scripture. And we'll see that these uh, Gentile magi, what they did and what they saw and how they lived, at least in this story, is an example for us as we follow Jesus. So let me read to you verse three from the first Noel. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far to seek for a king was their intent and to follow the star wherever it went. So the Magi give us a model of obedience. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about the Magi, magi, but we know that they were from the east, so likely they were from Persia, which was previously Babylon, and uh, where the Israelites had been taken captive in the 6th century before Christ was born. So it's very possible that these Magi knew about the writings of the prophet Daniel because Daniel was part of Israel that was taken captive to Babylon at that time. And it was in that time period where we see what he writes in his book of prophecy that bears his name. So they might have been familiar with that because in the book of Daniel, in part of his prophecy, he gives a timeline. It's not a specific timeline, but he gives a sense of a timeline about when the Messiah came. And if at that time they were able to see other scriptures or those other Jewish scriptures had been kept in what is now what was then Persia, they also may have been familiar with the prophecy of Balaam, which is found in the book of Numbers, which actually uh, would tell them about a star that would herald the arrival of the Messiah. So, Because the Messiah saw that star and and knew that it meant something very clearly different. Because remember this, we we do believe that they were students of the heavens, students uh, of the stars and of astronomy. And they were able to study it and interpret the meanings that the heavens were telling them. And so with, with that knowledge of knowing they may have had some knowledge of the ancient Jewish scriptures, as well as knowing that they were students of the sky and what was going on, we see that they interpreted that as meaning that God was doing something special. And they wanted to see what God was doing. And so out of obedience to, to what they sensed God was doing, they began to follow that star because they sensed that God was giving the world a message about what he was doing. Interestingly enough, uh, they traveled a long way. They traveled at least 800 miles based on what they saw. I mean, think about the kind of obedience that that requires to, to study what's going on in the, in the sky, possibly to, to know some ancient scripture that would back that up, and then to travel 800 miles, not by car, by some type of caravan. We love to think they were camels involved, possibly were, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But they traveled a long way Now scholars do point out that while the prophet Daniel preceded the Magi by those six centuries uh, that Daniel as a prophet also held a similar role that the Magi did. He too was an interpreter of dreams. He interpreted them for for, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who was the king of Persia at that time. And and so we see also a connection between Daniel and the Magi. Now the last verse of that story that I read from the Gospel of Matthew says this having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, while wow, it doesn't tell us whether one or more of the Magi had that dream, but what is clear to us is that they understood that this dream was an intervention, a divine intervention in their plans because Herod had requested that they go back and tell him where the child was. But now they understood that this dream was a message from God, and they obeyed it. And at risk to their own lives, they did not go back to Herod. They went back home another way. And we recognize in them the obedience they had to the messages that they felt were coming to them from God. Now, by doing this, they, they certainly saved Jesus' life, because when you read on in the story of Matthew chapter 2, you'll see that King Herod wouldn't have gone to worship the child Jesus, but instead he would have gone to kill him. In fact, when the Magi didn't return, uh, he went on a murderous rampage, and he sent his troops Down to Bethlehem and the surrounding area and killed all the boys, two years old and younger. Now, obviously, I can't tell you with complete certainty uh, that the Magi were obeying God by looking at the evidence that we see, but we see they studied the heavens. We know that because they saw the star and they knew that it meant something. something that no one else really interpreted at that time. They understood it meant that there was a a new Jewish king that was born, and they obeyed what they sensed was a message from God, and they came, and they honored him, they worshiped him, and they protected him. So think about that. Think about their example and ask yourself, what would I do? With, With everything you know and believe about God are you obeying what he has called you to obey? We have the, the benefit of having the entire Bible in a language that we can read. We can actually even listen to it if, we're not, if we don't like to read. We, ha- we can have so many ways. So we have to ask ourselves, are we obeying the message that God is giving us that's available for us to read 24-7 for our entire lives? The Magi give us a model of obedience that should up our obedience to God. But they also give us another model. They give us a model of generosity. So in verse 5 of the Christmas carol, the first Noel, we sing these words. Then entered in those wise men three, full reverently upon the knee, and offered there in his presence their gold and myrrh and frankincense. Now, nobody knows for sure how many Magi came to see Jesus The common assumption is that since there were three gifts given to Jesus, there must have been three magi. There could have been three. There could have been one. There could have been more than three. We don't know exactly how many there were, but we read in Scripture this. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you're like me, the more times you hear those three gifts, The more times that you sort of don't think about the implications of what those gifts meant and what they were about. So let's just take a moment to pause and think about what these gifts were and what the significance of them was. I want to take them in order. We'll look at gold first. Uh, We know gold is valuable. We know gold is a precious metal. Uh, Many students of the Bible will point out this, that uh, when... They were, when Joseph and Mary had Jesus and after they had seen the Magi, they were actually warned by an angel to leave Israel and go into Egypt. And they'll point out that gold that they were given would have been very useful to finance that trip into Egypt and that that stay that they had there to protect Jesus' life. So the Magi could have easily and unknowingly, with that gift of gold, financed that trip and that stay to protect Jesus and Joseph and Mary. Frankincense. Frankincense is an unusual gift, uh, something that we don't really think much about, but it's actually a a resin that comes from the boswell tree found in both Africa and Asia. And it's burned as an incense, and it's very fragrant. And it can also be made into a perfume. The third gift that they gave was myrrh. Myrrh is a spice. It too is made from the resin of a tree. And interestingly, it's used as an embalming spice for bodies after someone has died. Now, scholars like to interpret the symbolism and the significance of this gift. And and they don't all agree on the interpretations. but, But let me share with you some of their interpretations. The gift of gold was given to the Christ child. And it's symbolic of his divinity, that he is God in the flesh. Some point out that gold would be an appropriate gift for a king, and obviously we call him the king of kings. Now they point out that the gift of frankincense given to Jesus is significant because priests would burn incense. And the burning of that incense as the smoke would rise was significant of the priest praying for the people of God and their prayers rising to heaven, and so there's uh, this sense that the gift of frankincense would be significant because Jesus is called our high priest. Others suggest that it's also some significant because of Jesus' sacrifice, and since frankincense is burned up, it's sacrificed. There is a parallel there. Myrrh, the spice for embalming, obviously is significant because we know that that Jesus was crucified and that he died and that he was buried, but we also know he rose again. It would be symbolic of his suffering and his death. Now, all of those things are interesting about those gifts, but what the giving of gifts really speak to is the generosity of the Magi. Now, there is no evidence in Scripture that says that these Magi were official ambassadors delivering a gift for some world leader from another country. There's no evidence that these uh, Magi were, uh, you know, basically on someone's payroll and that they gave these gifts out of their expense accounts, or uh, so to speak. But more than likely, these Magi were people of means. But this trip that they made, more than 800 miles, would have been very costly. And these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were both extravagant and expensive and rare. The Magi were so excited about seeing this new king whose arrival and whose life had the fingerprints of God all over them that they gave generously from their resources. So think about the model of the generosity of the Magi. And ask yourselves, do I give generously to God? Do I give of my time, my talent, my treasure to God? Do I make him a priority when I give? Do I give him from the first of what I receive or do I give him from the leftovers? Think about the model of the Magi. So we see that they were obedient. We see that they were generous. They also give us a model of worship. Uh, The last verse of, of the first Noel actually leaves the Magi and turns to reflection upon those of us when we sing it. And it reminds us of why we should sing praises to God. So let me read it to you. Then let us all in one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. You know, of course, the Magi didn't know what all Jesus would do. They only knew that he was a divinely appointed king then, and they came to worship him. The Bible says this, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. But this isn't the only way they worshiped. They worshiped the son of god with their decisions to travel and find him they worshiped god by obediently following the star not knowing where it would take them or how long it would be they worshiped god when they heard the prophecies and they believed them they they worshiped the son of god when they bowed down to him they worshiped him when they gave extravagant gifts to him and they worshiped him when they obeyed the dream that God sent to them and went home a different way, not telling Herod where they had found Jesus. As worshipers, the Magi were all in. They were fully devoted to God and what God was doing. So what about you? Are you all in? Look, we have so much more evidence of the validity and the truth of God than they did, but they were studying what they had. We have the ability of hindsight. We can read the scriptures. So are you fully devoted to God and what he's doing? Are you all in and worshiping him? You know, the scriptures challenge us. In just a moment, we're going to worship using that song, The First Noel. I'm gonna invite Pat to come up because he's gonna lead us in that. But but let me just sort of wrap this message up. The scriptures that inspired this carol challenged the writer, and they should challenge us. They challenged the writer to, to look at what the Magi did and say, Wow, am I responding to God the same way they are? Because When we see how they lived their life and how they decided to follow God and see that they were all in, you know, it wasn't a casual thing. Uh, They didn't follow God when it fit into their schedule. They, They didn't do what was convenient to them. They didn't obey when it was easy. They obeyed when it was difficult and probably when it was easy also. They invested themselves in following him, their time, their energy, their resources. They gave to God, and they did so generously without reservation. And they did whatever it took to worship God. So think about this. What does the testimony of their lives encourage you to do in following God?